Welcome to Get on the Mend from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy. So with evidence-based advice from physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers, take charge of your health. This month, we're posting additional episodes, which will hopefully answer any questions you might have about COVID-19 and the new vaccines. In this episode, part two on vaccines, TTU HSC School of Medicine Dean Stephen Burke tells us what to expect from the COVID-19 vaccines, the reasons why someone would choose to get vaccinated, and explains how herd immunity works. Dr. Burke, thank you so much for coming back on our podcast. Glad to be here. You've spent these past few months helping us educate our listeners about COVID, and now we're at the vaccine stage. What can you tell us about the vaccines that are coming up? So these are messenger RNA vaccines. It's a type of vaccine that really hasn't been used uh, in the past. These are vaccines that have been studied in about 40,000 individuals. And we've done the clinical trials. So the clinical trial means half of the volunteers get a placebo, which is an inert substance. Half of the volunteers get this vaccine. When they looked at the first 100 volunteers to get COVID-19, 94 of them were in the placebo group. Only six of them were in the vaccine group. And that was pretty much repeated by both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. So we feel pretty confident that this is going to be a very effective vaccine. We know that the vaccine will be effective. What do we mean by a mRNA vaccine? Messenger RNA is a small piece of genetic material that is not part of a live virus or a dead virus, but it codes for, it tells the cells of the body how to make an antibody to the COVID-19 virus. So the cells of the body see this chemical, this messenger RNA, and they make an antibody that will kill the COVID-19 virus, particularly what we call the spike protein, the protein that's sticking out of the virus. So that's how it works. We know it's effective. And from all of the initial data, we know that the side effects are tolerable. It may actually have a little bit more pain at the injection site. It will have, for some patients, some fever, maybe some headache, uh, not too different than some of the other vaccines. So we believe that the vaccine is safe. We haven't looked at side effects over a year or two years, but generally there aren't side effects coming from a vaccine late on like a year or two after. So we're pretty confident that we can recommend this vaccine and that it will be what makes the difference to break this COVID-19 pandemic. What would you say to people who are worried because it was fast-tracked? There definitely is some uh, worry about that. It was fast-tracked because it had to be. We never had such an emergency need for vaccines in the past. 
We had great vaccines that eradicated polio, vaccines that eradicated smallpox, but that was over much greater time. So yes, this was done very quickly, but with years and years and years of science behind it, the messenger RNA vaccines have been studied for uh, many, many years. So we can appreciate that individuals might be worried about it, but there's so much more to worry about with respect to COVID-19, particularly as we learn that some individuals who are infected with COVID-19, they wind up with long-term sequelae or problems, sometimes foggy thinking or muscle aches or various other cardiac problems. So the long-term problems are much more of a concern with getting COVID-19 than with getting the vaccine. But I will say that the vaccine is, even for healthcare workers, at least right now, it is not going to be mandatory. So for the most part, everyone's going to make their own decision about whether to get the vaccine or not. To end the pandemic, a high percentage of people do have to get the vaccine. And so who will be eligible to receive the vaccine at first? In the first dosages that are being sent out by the state of Texas, everyone agrees that the highest priority are the healthcare workers taking care of COVID-19 patients. There's also a high priority for nursing homes and for individuals who work in nursing homes. And then the next priority will likely be those who could get very sick from COVID-19, the elderly, those with chronic lung disease, heart disease, other kinds of inflammatory diseases. That would be the next group. And also uh, essential workers, people like firemen, policemen, grocers, people who have to be out there working with the public. And how will it be administered? So it's going to be a IM, an intramuscular injection, and you will have to get two injections. There is some good news that the first injection actually does some protecting, but everyone needs to, will need to get two injections. And for the Pfizer vaccine, since it requires heavy refrigeration, there has to be a lot of thinking and planning on uh, scheduling exactly who's going to come in, how many doses to unfreeze, and to have a very efficient allocation process. Will the vaccine be safe for the elderly, for pregnant women, children? Well, definitely for the elderly. This is so important for the elderly to get vaccinated. They're the ones who, when they get COVID, often don't do well, wind up in the hospital or on a ventilator, And they're a big part of why we have so many deaths due to COVID-19. So there's no question about the elderly and those with underlying diseases. For right now, there is no vaccination program for children because children were not studied in the clinical trials. So those trials are going to have to occur first. And so there's definitely going to be a delay in any recommendation for children And pregnant women is kind of a confusing issue. A lot of women, pregnant women, don't think they should get vaccinated at all 
We actually know that pregnant women do need to get vaccinated for influenza. There's been a lot of childbearing age women who have gotten the vaccine. Some of them turned out to be pregnant and uh, there was no safety issues, but there is no indication for pregnant women either to get the vaccine as of now because they were not included specifically in clinical trials either. What about people who've already had COVID-19? Can they get the vaccine too? Yes, actually it turns out it's very important for them to get vaccinated as well. We're quite sure that immunity will last much longer with the vaccine than it will with natural infection. Although we don't really know how long it will last with natural infection, we're not even sure how long it will last with the vaccine. The vaccine may have to be given every year, but the vaccine will produce a longer immunity than the natural infection. Are there any precautions people should take before getting the vaccine? Like, should they take a flu vaccine if they're having allergies or something for them to avoid the vaccine? So if they have allergies, they should talk to their physician. We're not worried about the allergies that you get from dust or from plants or trees. We do want to know about any allergies, allergic reactions that they got from any kind of vaccine. That would be important, and a doctor would have to evaluate that. We don't like to give any vaccines to someone who's sick with a fever or cold or flu or any of that. So the vaccine would have to be delayed if someone is sick with something else. That's one of the important reasons for delay. I think some physicians might recommend that the individual take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent just before getting vaccinated to help prevent with the muscle aches and fever, but that would be an individual patient decision. And what about after? Is it Would it be safe to take Tylenol or anything yes. like that? Yeah, Tylenol or a non-steroidal. Yeah, if there are symptoms, fever, headache, muscle aches, then yeah, it would be very good to take those kind of over-the-counter medications. What about vitamins or immunity boosters, anything like that? Surprisingly, all of that is, is very controversial. Probably the most interesting one is vitamin D because there have been studies to show that patients who are very, have very low vitamin D levels may be more likely to get COVID-19. So as with most vitamins, if there's a deficiency, then it makes some sense. So if you've been to your doctor, you've got vitamin D levels and you know those levels are low, then it might be a good idea to take vitamin D. And then some think that taking zinc, which has kind of a reputation of potentially boosting the immune system, uh, that's a possibility, but there's no real data on zinc deficiency in COVID-19. And most individuals will have good levels of zinc, especially West Texas. Zinc is abundant in red meat. And if you have normal levels of zinc, then it probably won't make a difference. And of course, some people think that vitamin C is just very good for health in general. 
and uh, helps to fight infection. But again, most of these things are of benefit if you're really low in vitamin C, if you're low in zinc, if you're low in vitamin D, then it's possible that these would be helpful. When do you anticipate the vaccine coming for the general public? So we don't know that for sure. Like we say, this will occur in shifts and healthcare workers should get the vaccine very soon. They can get the vaccine next week. Those with underlying diseases would be the next priority. That might be maybe in January. I would guess that for everyone to be offered the vaccine so that all, all individuals, even healthy people, I think we're talking probably more about March or April, in, maybe in the spring sometime. But some of that is going to depend, obviously, on the vaccine supply, how many different vaccines we'll be able to use. So what can we do in the meantime to stay safe? Right. So that's still probably the most important question there is, because all of this is going to take time. Vaccination against COVID-19 is going to be the best way to end this, this pandemic. However, it's going to take time. And so the basic principles of wearing a mask, social distancing, really avoiding crowds, having groups of six, eight, ten people eating together, this is still what's going to keep the pandemic controlled until the vaccine is able to kick in. So again, it's the basics that everybody's heard before, but we're actually not getting total cooperation by any means in those in individuals wearing masks, staying six feet apart, and certainly not getting total cooperation in avoiding large groups getting together. Now, I know you said that getting the vaccine is optional, but what would you say for someone who is just dead set against the vaccine or is just waiting for a cure? Well, when individuals are thinking about getting the vaccine, there's two ways to think about it. One is they make the personal decision. Do they want the vaccine or not? Are they worried about side effects? Do they think they need it? Do they think if they get sick, if they get COVID-19, Maybe they won't be that sick. So that's one type of decision-making. But the other type of decision-making is that to end the pandemic, we probably need 70, 80% of the whole population to get the vaccine. So that's kind of a different way of looking at it. It's getting the vaccine for the good of the community. It's getting the vaccine for the good of those who, if they get COVID-19, are going to die from it. We need herd immunity to end the pandemic. We need, the vaccine is about 90% effective. So if 80% of everyone gets the vaccine, we'd have 70% herd immunity. 70% of everyone would have uh, antibody, and then that would be the end of the pandemic. So when you're thinking about whether or not to get the vaccine, you're making a personal decision but you're also making a public health decision for the whole community. I think mostly people might have some misunderstanding about how herd immunity 
works and how it comes to be? Well, there's been confusion because there was a group, even some in the administration, that was thinking about natural herd immunity, meaning just let everybody get infected. And by the time 70% get infected, then probably the pandemic would be over. The problem with that is if 70% of the population gets infected, the number of the deaths and disability is just enormous. In calculating it in Lubbock, if you had just natural, if you just waited for 70% of everyone to get sick or to get COVID, not necessarily to be sick, but to get COVID, but still 3% die. So you'd have thousands of deaths in Lubbock if you just waited for natural immunity. But you can get herd immunity through the vaccine where everybody gets antibodies without having to get sick. And so that's the kind of herd immunity we're talking about. Well, thanks for explaining. And thanks for coming on our podcast. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to Get on the Mend. Next week's episode focuses on the long-term effects of COVID-19. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Get on the Mend is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center.